ora. I'm Laura Clark, the British High Commissioner to New Zealand. Welcome to another episode of Tea with the High Commission, the British High Commission's podcast, where we interview a range of interesting people talking about anything and everything, and in the process discover the great connections between the UK and New Zealand. Kia ora koutou. Um, our guest today on Tea with the High Commission is the Right Honourable Greg Hans, Minister of State for Trade Policy at the UK's Department for International Trade. Now, one of the key parts of his role is working to secure new free trade agreements, making the most of our new independent trade policy following our exit from the European Union. Now, our listeners may have heard of the recent agreement in principle with Australia, and of course, negotiations uh, with New Zealand are underway. We've now held five rounds. Uh, Greg has been a government minister since 2011 and was elected an MP in 2005. And before being entering politics, he spent eight years working on trading floors in London and New York. Uh, so, Minister Hans, no my hairamai, welcome, a big warm welcome. Of course, we'd rather have you actually here in New Zealand having a proper cup of tea, uh, but it's great to have you with us virtually. Uh, well, good morning, Laura. Thank you very much indeed for setting this up. Uh, I would also, uh, I've never been to New Zealand uh, before. As uh, close as I've got, I think, is uh, would be Sydney, I think. So, I uh, would love to come over. I know that's virtually impossible at the moment, but hopefully um, later this year or into 2022, we'll see. But, um, but uh, thank you for setting it up and uh, good evening to everybody in New Zealand. Lovely. Thank you. Now, I want to um, start, if I can, just, just I'm interested in sort of thinking about your transition from life in the city to, to life in politics. What was it that made you leave one career and embark on a career in politics? Uh, well, that's a really good question. Actually, it was, it was partly deliberate and partly accidental. Um, I was quite interested in politics at university, although I studied history and languages. I became quite interested in it. Um, but then went for a career um, in finance. And I would say so two things during that time uh, quite excited my interest. Um, one was uh, I lived in what was used to be called West Berlin. I'm showing my age here a little bit um, in the late 1980s. And that provided you know, an amazing insight into um, Eastern Europe. I went to East Germany a lot. And my wife is East Germany. Um, Czechoslovakia and so on. I sort of got quite interested in the kind of the political, the politics of that. It's just a completely different world um, from uh, having been brought up in a relatively small town in England. Um, and then actually in New York City, um, living in New York City, uh, I got quite inspired. This guy's amazing, enormously controversial, uh, uh, probably now, and you'll probably wince at the name, but um, but he did an amazing job at that time as mayor of New York City, uh, Rudy Giuliani. It seems, it seems a bit odd to even mention him because he's so controversial these days. Um, but at that specific time, this is now almost 30 years ago, um, he did an amazing job of turning around the city. And that was quite inspiring to see how sort of one person, how you could make a difference in politics. And, and that was all about kind of seeing people making a difference. Um, it wasn't all kind of inevitable, you know, this is inevitably happening. Um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you go for center right, center left, or whoever it may be. I actually, you know, you can really make a real big difference in politics. And that's what inspired me. And then as it happens, I um, was doing a sabbatical from work um, between jobs and I ran for office and never looked back. I, I never went back um, to finance and got elected to the local council and got selected to be the MP candidate, uh, etc. So it was a bit of design and a bit of accident, really. 
Yeah, and that sense, I suppose, and you do see that, and you know, you talk about your um, your time in German in Germany. Yeah. So we couldn't auch of Deutsch sprechen, but we probably saw, yeah. for our audiences. Um, but yeah, that sense in in many countries of quite how critical politics is and the importance, the impact that you can have. Um, and now, of course, you're you're working as as Minister for Trade Policy at a, at a similarly at a quite a critical time for the UK as we kind of you know chart our new path following our exit from the EU we're you know out there negotiating um, free trade agreements um, tell us more about that tell us more about what the big picture goals are on, on that on that trade policy and your role your role in that well uh, back in I was here at the inception of the department in the summer of 2016 a decision was made quickly the UK would need to have its own independent trade policy going forward and uh, we needed, therefore, a government department to do it. So I was here right at the inception. Um, my role has mainly been to sort out a lot of the, uh, if you like, a lot of the legwork, like sorting out the UK global tariff, uh, the legislation that we needed, uh, setting up the trade working groups with our uh, future trade partners, including New Zealand. We set up that trade working group quite early, 2017, I think, off the top mm -hmm. of my head. Um, making sure that we did the preparation work, uh, we hired uh, the right people, we had to grow the department. This is something the UK hadn't done um, since um, the early 1970s. So we had a lot of work to do, um, but I think we made uh, actually the right decisions. And I think that work is bearing fruit now. Um, we rolled over trade agreements with uh, 67 countries. We've obviously got the trade agreement with the European Union agreement in principle with Australia, I'm sure we'll talk about the New Zealand deal, and joining CPTPP, um, going further with Mexico, with Canada, I mean, there's a lot going on at uh, the Department for International Trade, as well yeah. as setting up all the frameworks, um, um, trade remedies, all of these other things that you need um, for a comprehensive international trade policy. So it's a very, um, it's an exciting job, also got quite technical aspects to it. Uh, I think my financial background comes in quite handy on things like um, understanding uh, tariffs and the interaction with um, trade policy and all these kind of things. So it's a great area to be in. I really enjoy the job uh, and um, looking forward to doing more trade deals. Absolutely. And I suppose that brings us in a way onto, onto where the UK New Zealand um, free trade agreement fits into that. So as I said in the introduction, we've, we've, we've made good progress on our FTA and we've got an ambition to progress it as fast as possible. Can you talk a bit about where the New Zealand UK free trade agreement fits into our broader trade policy and trade ambitions and talk a bit more about you know what next steps are on on, on the FTA. Well, New Zealand was one of the very first partners that we said that we wanted to do a free trade agreement with. Uh, from the very beginning we announced uh, that the USA, Australia, New Zealand would be uh, our key priorities uh, for early agreements as soon as we were able to do them. Obviously we are um, subject to uh, EU trade policy up to the end of December 2020. So New Zealand was always a very key early priority for us. Uh, it fits in with my Conservative Party manifesto commitment uh, that 80% of UK trade will be covered by free trade agreements within three years. Um, so by the end of 2022. And New Zealand is part of that. Obviously, New Zealand is not as large an economy as, uh, as Australia, let alone the United States. But New Zealand... Um, in my experience, uh, punches above its weight on trade policy. It's a great innovator 
uh, and a great user of uh, trade agreements and um, aspects of trade policy, um, a really big player at the WTO, uh, important player in CPTPP. So beyond the size of the New Zealand market uh, and those kind of fantastic UK-New Zealand links we've got, uh, I think New Zealand is a great counterpart. I think the UK-New Zealand uh, deal is likely to be quite innovative and likely to uh, attract attention, I think, around the world for some of its aspects uh, to it, because we are very like-minded on things like environmental policy, um, um, uh, women's economic empowerment. I think there'll be other areas there where you know, we can really do a deal that uh, beyond the, you know, the usual tariffs and market access and uh, mutual recognition of professional qualifications, all those kinds of things that you'd expect to see in, in, in most FTAs. I think the UK and New Zealand uh, are likely to be a trendsetter together. Um, Damien O'Connor, New Zealand Trade and Agriculture Minister was over. Liz Truss and I had uh, very good uh, negotiation sessions when we're looking to accelerate uh, towards agreement in principle um, um, uh, soon, I would say. So I think it's in a good place overall. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's, actually, it's absolutely, as you say, that this is an opportunity, you know, drawing on New Zealand's track record in innovating in trade policy, the UK's scale and global reach. It's an opportunity to do something really quite interesting on areas like sustainability, indigenous trade, women's empowerment, and to really then set the tone. And also I think then lay the foundations for a deeper partnership on global trade issues once we've got this free trade agreement in the bag. And I think we, we, we were interested, we did a perception survey um, earlier this year with New Zealand businesses and asking New Zealand importers and exporters about the FTA and what they see as the prospects. And, and the vast majority were strongly optimistic about it, about how the FTA can set the global standard for the ambition um, and, and the opportunities uh, for the countries. And I think part of that goes also to this sort of the, the shared, the sort of strong connections between our countries, because even though we're on opposite ends of the world, um, we've got very similar values and similar view of the world. And so there's a sort of real, real scope to do more on that too. I totally agree. Uh, the New Zealand deal will combine all of those things, the kind of historic, uh, uh, cultural, hopefully people ties. I think there might be some good things on mobility between the two countries, uh, which is already quite strong. I, I remember hearing when I started working in the city of London in 1989 that um, um, London had um, almost more New Zealanders than, um, than, uh, than Auckland. I think somebody told me, I wasn't sure if that's entirely true, but there's obviously the people ties have been absolutely enormous uh, yeah. between um, the two countries. Um, and I think uh, the New Zealand market, well, we do 2.3 billion pounds worth of trade, which is actually quite a loss. I mean, mm. uh, sort of per capita basis, I mm. think that's quite high. Again, considering that we are at opposite sides of the world. I think that amount of trade is quite high on a per capita basis, but definitely could go higher. And uh, both countries I think are strongly committed to being uh, free trade countries and, and yeah. leaders in, in, in that world. So I think it all augurs very, very well for a good uh, trade agreement. And that will obviously lead into other things like um, um, CPTPP and so on. Absolutely, where we've, we've already lodged our, um, our application uh, to exceed, and of course then negotiations uh, will begin next. And we've talked about you know, New Zealand batting above its average on trade policy, we've also talked about the people-to-people -people links, the huge number of Kiwis that work in the UK and, and vice versa. And of course we drew very early on on Crawford Faulkner, who was New Zealand's chief trade negotiator, 
as we were setting up our Department for International Trade. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what has he brought to the department in terms of his experience here, but also more generally, what do we have to learn from other countries in terms of, you know, forging, forging trade relationships and transacting trade policy? Well, look, I mean, uh, Crawford has been amazing. You know, he's been with us the last, uh, must be about the last four years or so now. His um, incredible uh, experience, he's seen pretty much everything before um, in his uh, long, long experience uh, working for New Zealand. Uh, he's a joint citizen, as we know. Um, and you know, I think he does an amazing uh, job uh, for us uh, using that experience and that judgment and that sort of knowledge of how uh, the dynamic of trade negotiations, I mean, they do have their own sort of quite a distinctive dynamic, which obviously the UK uh, has not been in, although we did you know, obviously negotiate a, a very comprehensive trade agreement with the EU last year, and those other now um, um, 67 countries going forward, and uh, Japan, we went further, Australia, we've just done, and so on. So we are building up uh, experience base uh, as well, but he definitely continues to add uh, an enormous uh, amount of, of value. Um, and I think uh, more broadly, um, you know, looking at uh, learning from our peer group, our counterparts, you know, I think we're looking to learn from uh, global free trading countries uh, like New Zealand, uh, like Australia, like Japan, like uh, Canada, others um, who have forged being right at the forefront of uh, free trade agreements, forefront of the Singapore, I should mention as well forefront of uh, trade policy and a lot of those are, are also countries where New Zealand has gone further on trade policy you know the New Zealand uh, initiative on acts mm. uh, the fact that New Zealand is the uh, secretary of the depository country I should say for CPTPP a lot of those deals that New Zealand has done innovative deals with the likes of Singapore with Chile and others uh, I think there's a lot to learn from uh, how New Zealand as I say has I think I would say punched above its weight. I think you just said, Laura, batted, batted higher than its average. No, exactly. but I'm, I have to be a bit careful using cricketing. Uh, right now you do, absolutely, because New Zealand's incredibly proud of um, winning the World Test Championship, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, I think that's right. We've, so we've talked, you mentioned ACTS, which is, of course, the Agreement on Climate Change, Trade and Sustainability, of which New Zealand is a founding member, tries to, you know, achieve sustainability goals through trade. And we've touched briefly on the comprehensive and progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, which um, the UK is keen to join. Now some people sometimes say rather wryly um, but the UK is not in the Pacific, it's not a Pacific uh, nation. Um, I sometimes mention the fact that Pitcairn is in the Pacific um, but of course it's a rather small foothold. Can you talk to us about, you know, talk to us about the UK's ambition to join CPTP, why it's so important um, and how we see that playing out? Well, CPTPP uh, is almost an agreement that that could have been written uh, by Britain. Of course, it was, it was partly written by the United States. But in terms of what it does, uh, it's good focus on services, on data and digital, on very liberal rules of origin, which suits um, the UK. We've got uh, global supply chains ourselves. Uh, all of those things kind of suit uh, the UK uh, really well. Uh, obviously, it's a negotiation which is uh, just started and the UK will have its own distinctive position uh, in that negotiation. 
Um, but this is something which makes a good sense for the UK. You know, it actually covers a pretty broad uh, geographic spectrum. Having the UK join uh, would immediately boost uh, the GDP of the free trade area from 13% to 16%. And I think it will be a tangible benefit, something which we would not have been able to do uh, in the EU, for example. So this will definitely be something that uh, will bring post-Brexit benefit uh, to the UK. And I think it would be a good deal for the UK uh, overall and for a lot of our key uh, services and goods exports um, going into those 11. So I think it makes uh, a lot of sense. Um, it uh, is, is a classic, if you like, a classic free trade area. Nobody is um, you know, trying to turn it into something bigger or more political. Uh, it is 11 countries that are pretty like-minded on free trade. Uh, but all have you know, quite diverse governments. When you think about the contrast between some of the Asian countries to um, some of the you know, Westminster-style parliamentary democracies that are in, it's quite a diversity of types of government. Uh, but nobody is, is trying to like converge the, the governance or the governing systems in these countries. It's a classic free trade area. I think it suits the UK yeah. very well. Um, yeah. So I think it's a great opportunity for us. And it, and it also fits with our, our desire and our ambition to engage much more in the Indo-Pacific region as well. And by virtue both of the economic opportunities and trade opportunities that we've discussed, but also because of the geopolitics playing out and that desire to partner more closely with, with countries in the, in the region. Uh, now, tell me, you, um, it's been a pretty punishing year globally um, and in the UK as well. How has that taken its toll and how have you had to adjust um, in terms of your role as um, a trade policy minister, but also more widely to this new COVID context in which we find ourselves? Because it's here, it's going to be with us for a while, right? Well, I think, Laura, the answer is manifold. It is on any number of fronts, it's changed things. Um, not necessarily always for the worst. I mean, notwithstanding, as you know, the UK has had uh, um, uh, quite a high death toll. We've had quite a lot of disruption. We've had a huge success on the vaccination front. Plenty going on in the UK uh, when it comes um, to COVID. I think in trade, it's ironically made some things um, a little bit easier, actually. Um, I think the use of uh, exactly what we're doing at the moment, um, using electronic, uh, you're probably more used to it, probably the New Zealand High, the UK High Commission in New Zealand has probably been probably quite a great user of Teams and Zoom uh, beforehand because of the time difference, but mm. it hasn't really been a big part of government, at least in the UK, I think most of our trade partners. So I don't know that we would have done all those um, trade deals with the 68 countries. Um, if we'd had to have gone and physically shown up and negotiated, you know, normally a trade negotiation, you take a big team of people, you, you fly out, you camp out in a whole floor of a hotel for two weeks, you do a round of negotiations, you come back you know, six weeks later, do another one or two weeks. I mean, it's quite a laborious mm. process, in, mm. if you like, in the old world. So in this new world, doing this all by initially, you know, people weren't really sure, you know, uh, trade negotiations are famously highly confidential. You know, what are you going to offer here on, on tariffs? Or what are they going to offer on uh, services? Whatever it may be, you know, that's quite a confidential negotiation. I, think, I don't think everybody was wholly sure about doing it um, via Teams, Zooms, and everything else. So I think actually um, that has been a benefit on, on the trade side. Uh, the flip side has been those personal links have been harder to build. Um, so uh, next week, I'm going to the WTO for the first time 
uh, in about two years, you know, which feels a slightly odd thing that you know, yeah. I'm not in and out of Geneva all the time. Um, so, so it kind of is a bit of what you might call sort of swings and roundabouts, really, I think, in terms of the, uh, the facilitation. I think uh, as a minister, um, it made some things a little bit more difficult, um, getting kind of the work, uh, particularly confidential, um, sensitive documents around, um, have to be extremely careful on that. So that hasn't always been easy. Unfortunately, my constituency is just down the road. So Chelsea and Fulham, you could, could almost not have a more ideal constituency uh, for doing this job um, because the, the distance involved from, from home, my constituency is tiny. So, but that, so, so to some extent, I've been quite fortunate on that. But I would say it's a bit of a mixed picture. I think the long-term impact will be people will do trade negotiations virtually, but have the additional benefit of being able to travel. And we hope to travel to the UK and New Zealand will one day reopen. Uh, being able to see people in person, meet in person, and add that personal touch. So probably get a fusion of the best of both worlds, I think, at that point. Absolutely. And we'll probably be more discerning about when we actually need to get on an aeroplane and when actually we can do things with good rapport across across Zoom or Teams, as you say. Um, so thanks so much, Minister. It's been great to talk. I want to finish with one question, if I can, which is, you know, given um, the pressures of dealing with COVID, given, given the pressures of, of life in a ministerial role, um, what do you do to switch off or, or unwind and, and sort of leave all the, all the worries of that behind you? Well, I, I've got various hobbies. Um, I like um, taking black and white print pictures oh, yeah. uh, around the place, um, which has oh, um, been a very long-standing hobby. I mean, when I did it, it was new tech when I started. Now it's old tech, but I've been doing it for 35 years or so. Um, that kind of helps me switch off and then sort of sorting it all out and mm. uh, scanning negative, all kind of things. So if I need a complete sort of switch off, I just sort of disappear and go off and do that for an hour or two. Um, that kind of, um, I've got, uh, my family are quite demanding, my wife, two children, um, they're both teenagers. Um, the lockdown has not been great, I have to say, for teenagers. Mm. Um, probably, very uh, I, I know New Zealand's also had different lockdowns going on. I think it's not been, uh, I think any kids aged between, I would say, about 13 and maybe up to about 20 or so, that sort of age group, I think. I've had a pretty rough time, I think, of it, uh, not being able to see friends. They're naturally kind of wanting to go out and discover, explore, um, get out of the house uh, for the first time, all that kind of thing. I think that's been, that has been quite tough, I think. So you know, it's been sort of quite tough, I think, on quite a few people, particularly the UK is now having you know, quite a few lockdowns. Um, but, you know, on the optimistic side, we've had a huge success on our vaccination program. And um, actually, notwithstanding, we've got a bit of an increase in numbers at the moment with the Delta variant. Uh, but thankfully, our hospitalization rate remains very low. Our death rate, thankfully, remains very, very low. So I think we're sort of seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but it's not been an easy time in the UK the last uh, um, 16 months or so. You know, I'll be quite frank with you. Uh, I, I, I challenge anybody to say that they've had a, you know, a great time of the last 18 months in the UK. Um, it's been a tough time. Yeah, absolutely. But but gradually, we hope opening up and things and things looking up. And of course, you have summer there while we're in the in the midst of a rather, rather chilly winter. Um, so, Minister, thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely to chat um, and good luck with your working day ahead. And we'll stay in touch, of course, on the New Zealand trade agreement.
Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you very much indeed. And um, hope to be over, I don't know, uh, hard to tell when, uh, but hopefully as, as soon as things reopen. We would love to host you out here. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to all the team. And thank you to all the team uh, at uh, Working for the UK out in New Zealand. It's really appreciated, both of the High Commission, the trade team, everybody. Thank you for all the good work that you're doing. And good luck to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review as it helps others find us. And remember, you can subscribe to us by searching for Tea with the High Commission on iTunes or Spotify. Thank you. Kakiti anō.